I need you to like musicals. I need you to like musicals. I need you to like musicals. I know you think they're sappy and bland, and you hated La La Land, but I gotta make you understand they can be profound and beautiful. So I need you to like musicals. Merry Christmas. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Do I need you to like musicals? The Christmas special. <laughs> the Christmas edition. We are fighting the war on Christmas, and by God, we are winning it. We've got two Christmas musicals. Now I know what you're thinking. You read the title of this episode, and you said to yourself, What gives? This doesn't make any sense. There are Christmas musicals that have been on Broadway, Chris, like Elf. And the Christmas story of the musical. I know, I know, I understand that. And look, I saw a Christmas story live a few years ago. I thought it was abominable. You know, the live version on NBC uh, when they did the live musicals thing. Uh, and I'm very against this trend of taking a guilty pleasure movie, turning it into a musical. Uh, and I've talked, that's been talked to death by me and people smarter than me. Especially the ones with characters portrayed by legendary performers that you couldn't imagine, you know, anyone else in the role. Uh, so yeah, why am I doing a Christmas episode about two, uh, movie musicals? Um, one of which has never been on stage. Never been on, I don't know why I pronounced it that way. Never been on stage. Well, I'll tell you. Um, I'm a guy who watches a lot of movies and always have, uh, throughout my life. I, 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 I watch kind of, uh, one per day. I would say at least one per day or I start one per day. It's my end of the day thing and my first thing in the morning ritual with coffee, which uh, that seems excessive, right? Well, you know, you should have seen me 15 years ago. That uh, continued into the late morning and the early afternoon. Now, in 2020, the year where we all went through something, there was a lot of movie watching in my house. I was still actively co-parenting and living with my stepson at the time. My stepson, who was about to turn 18 in February, which is the craziest uh, thing I could possibly think of. And for most of December, uh, there's this weird rule that you can only watch Christmas movies. I don't know who made this rule. I guess my girlfriend at the time and my stepson's mother made that rule. Uh, there are only, you know, it's if you're gonna watch movies at home, they goddamn better be Christmas movies. That's what the rules of polite society. And that, you run into some trouble with that if you're a person that watches a lot of movies because there are only maybe three to five good ones. So you end up watching the same shit every year, even if it's not that good. You end up uh, rotating through Four Christmases or White Christmas or goddamn Love Actually. And then, you know, maybe you'll try and get cute and force in some Christmas-adjacent movies like The Apartment or Tangerine or Eyes Wide Shut or Trading Places or, or Die Hard. It is a Christmas movie, guys. <laughs> it is. That's so tired now that it's, like, even tired to make fun of people saying it. Uh, for me, watching the same movie twice in less than, let's say, 18 months makes me feel anxious and insane. So I don't love the Christmas season especially if I'm living with someone that uh, pushes the issue that we should only be watching Christmas movies. Now, in my house growing up, there was one VHS tape that we reverently trotted out every year, 
And that was Scrooge, the 1970 movie musical Scrooge starring Albert Finney. One of the shows or films, actually became a show later. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, one of the shows we're going to talk about today. And I've seen it more than any other Christmas movie ever. Uh, probably a lot more than most movies, except for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I watch that every day for the first seven or so years of my life. I can't imagine I'll ever get sick of the movie Scrooge. It is a triumphant, perfect movie. It doesn't get the respect it deserves. I'll tell you that. And so I thought I would use my platform as the host of a podcast with virtually no listeners to give a bump to the film Scrooge. Now, there's another film that we're going to talk about today. Uh, and you see it in the title, so I don't know why I'm teasing it. So I'm a member of uh, the much maligned millennial generation. Most people my age have decided that The Muppet Christmas Carol is not only the best adaptation of the Dickens novel, but the best Christmas movie ever. I obviously can't agree with this. I saw it in theaters when it came out in 1992. I was nine years old. Saw it in the theaters with my family. I, at the time, I worshipped the, the Muppets and Sesame Street. I was very excited to see it. But then, goddammit, it left out so many of the moments that I had become accustomed to from watching that 1970 film that, uh, you know, moments that I found indispensable... I, I found it to be a huge disappointment as a child. And so later, I'm an adult, and everybody my age is still harping about how great the fucking Muppet Christmas Carol is. So I say, okay, I'll give it another shot. Because maybe I didn't give it a chance. Because I had pre-existing standards as a precocious child. Like my nephew Harold, when he went to go see uh, Hadestown during the first act. He was very into Greek and Roman myths. And he was whispering to his mother, this is not how it's supposed to go. She's supposed to get bitten by a snake. What is happening? He, you know. Um, but I gotta say, even seeing it as an adult, it just doesn't do it for me. And I'm so sorry. I think it's the songs. I find them forgettable. And I'm not arguing. Please no. I'm not arguing that the songs aren't hummable. I'm not some moronic Phantom of the Opera guy over here. I'm just saying the songs aren't interesting. So yeah. Those are the shows we're going to talk about today. It's, it's, I'm calling them shows by force of habit, and that's going to get kind of clunky as we go through here. So I, I'm just calling it now. When I say shows, know that I mean films. Now we all know the story of the Christmas Carol. It's a 1843 novella. There actually was somebody in my uh, English class uh, actually just two or three weeks ago before the semester ended who had not heard of this story and uh, I was like really? like you've never heard of uh, Scrooge and like the ghost of Christmas past and all that and they're like she was like I'm only 20 years old I was like okay I don't know why that matters I mean I wasn't alive when that Clockwork Orange was made that's a bad example anyway uh, there are trillions of adaptations of A Christmas Carol. I know it, you know it, we all know it. Ebenezer Scrooge is a miserly old bastard. He's got all this money and he doesn't, he's a money lender to, uh, nobody likes him, he's mean and he's a rapacious lender and he, the ghost of his former business partner, Jacob Marley, visits him on Christmas Eve and says, you, 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 you know, you gotta do right. I don't be like me. I'm wearing this chain because of the shitty things I did in life. You're gonna be visited by three ghosts. One at one, one at two, one at three o'clock. Uh, and he sees the ghost of Christmas past who 
takes him to look at his fucking past and the do I really need to explain this? This is stupid. You all know what this story is. I'm a completist, so let me just quickly... The ghost of Christmas present. The ghost of Christmas yet to come. Or Christmas future, depending on how you want to do that. And then he learns by the end the magic of Christmas. and That uh, everybody should like Christmas. And he, in fact, likes Christmas. And he decides to pay a fair wage to his employee, Bob Cratchit. And save his... Uh, handicapped son, Tiny Tim. Why am I laughing at that? And uh, do all sorts of do do right all of the wrongs that we saw him do at the beginning. It's a tale as old as time, true as it can be. Now Lionel Barrymore did it on the radio every year from 1934 to 1953. A lot of people's favorite, uh, a lot of very serious people. Their favorite is the 1951 film adaptation with Alistair Sim. It's considered to be the best by many. I should give it another shot. I watched it when I was too young, maybe. And I remember thinking there was too much boring office politics subtext with the Scrooge and Marley moneylender business. Am I wrong about that? I have not revisited it in some time. Um, but the thing is, prior to that Alistair Sim film, there are actually 14 film adaptations of A Christmas Carol. And the first one is in 1901, six years after film was fucking invented. And it was, you know, a short, silent British film. It was probably like 30 seconds long. And, you know, if the people that made that 1901 Christmas Carol could get in a time machine and see either Scrooge or The Muppet Christmas Carol, I'm sure their dicks would fall off. And there's all kinds of... So, so uh, I mean, some of the notable ones. You got Scrooged in 1988 with Bill Murray. Love it. Love that movie. It has a bizarre ending. It's weirdly preachy and sentimental and over the top in a way that doesn't match the rest of it. I mean, it's all versions of this are sentimental by the end, but you don't quite buy it in this one forever for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know, but up until that point, it just it makes me laugh. I enjoy it. Will you hold the goddamn hammer, please. Is that loud? Sorry if that was loud. Okay, I knew nothing about this. They do uh. A, something called A Christmas Carol the Musical at Madison Square Garden every year, or they did from 1994 to 2003 uh, some adaptation with music by Alan Menken and lyrics by Lynn Ahrens. We have uh, dealt with both of those. Uh, I dare say they are, each of them were the weaker half of their respective teams. Uh, we should have had a Stephen Flaherty and uh, late Howard Ashman had them get together and make a better version but anyway uh a lot of people cycled through and played scrooge these include tim curry f murray abraham and roger daltrey of the who they did it on television in 2004 with kelsey fucking grammar he's gonna pop up later in another context believe it or not patrick stewart did a one-man show of this and i saw it in 1993 when i was 10 years old and i fell asleep it's basically patrick stewart reciting the novel but hopping around the stage uh, with lighting changes and pretending to be all the characters uh, uh midsummer night's dream bottom style uh let's deal with this for a second this is fascinating to me so there is a film from 2008 called an american carol you guys know what i'm talking about this is a film by david zucker it is a right-wing comedy Starring um, Chris Farley's brother, Kevin Farley, 
And the, the whole conceit of it is that it's uh, somebody called Michael Malone that's supposed to be Michael Moore. He's like a an overweight, ultra-liberal documentarian, and he hates America. And he's shown the error of her, his ways. He's visited by General Patton and John F. Kennedy. And uh, <laughs> it's really fucked. So I'd, I'd heard about this when it came out. And I was like, who would ever see this? And I, while I was preparing this episode, and I was like, no, let me uh, make a list of the, you know, notable adaptations of A Christmas Carol. And I remembered, I saw this one. I was like, oh my God, that's right. And I had a moral conundrum where I was like, if I don't see this, then aren't I really just a uh, echo chamber, uh, unthinking uh, team sport guy? Like, because I think that the the the, uh, the popular knowledge, which I tend to agree with, sort of, is that you can't be conservative and funny. <laughs> because uh, just you know, conservative people aren't funny. I feel like so this movie is not funny, but I think that there's some nuance to that. So I watched. Here's what happened. I watched the first ten minutes of this. It was so full of ugly, racist trash, Islamophobic garbage that makes you pity and resent the actors that played these Afghani characters. My God, I mean, some of whom are recognizable. Like, the rest of the cast is all of the Republican losers, like, you know, John Voight, uh, James Woods, the aforementioned Kelsey Grammer plays Patton. Um... It's a shame that it's so fucking bad because it'd be interesting to see a good version of something like this. Here's the thing. It's not just that right-wing comedy is impossible. It's that comedy that does not prioritize comedy over ideology sucks. There's been liberal versions of that too. Uh, I am definitely on the left side of things and I definitely was in 2008. Uh, this was still during the Bush regime, I believe. Well, if it came out at Christmas time, I guess Obama had won the election. But yeah, Bush was still... Anyway, whatever. I don't want to spend too much time on this. But I watched the very beginning, and I was like, I can't fucking watch this anymore. And then later, I just had presents to wrap, and I turned on the old Roku, and it was like, oh, it's still on this. Okay, well, fuck it. And I watched more of it. Boy, oh boy. Not good. Not good. Yeah, preachy. And I know that uh, the, um, the Daily Wire has just put out a conservative comedy about uh, an anti-trans propaganda comedy. And so this seems timely for that reason. But it's bad. But there are a lot of uh, preachy liberal films that are bad. Like the Barbie movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Just for the record, I was not threatened as a man by the Barbie movie. And anybody that felt like the Barbie movie was anti-male is uh, the most insecure fucking triggered male ever. I just thought it was a little too soapboxy. But uh, what do I know? I'm a fucking shitty man. I'm anti-man. Anyway, um, they made a piece of shit in 2009. There was an animated version of Christmas Carol by Robert Zemeckis starring Jim Carrey. I didn't see that. But yeah, I mean, from the Smurfs to Be Beavis and Butthead, there are a million other ones I'm not even mentioning here. There are certain lines and images that survive in nearly every single adaptation, even the ones that radically depart. 
Like, people get very excited about having Scrooge say, uh, anyone that ha walks around with a Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Like, that line is so fire that everybody has to use it in their version of A Christmas Carol. And, of course, God bless us, everyone. That's always going to work its way in, etc., etc. There's one Dickens line that doesn't always get used. But it's original. It's the Dickens line. It's from the novel. It is in the Muppet version, to the, to, to the Muppet version's credit. And I think it really speaks to the depth of the story. When Scrooge uh, wakes up on Christmas morning after the thing, he's, <laughs> he says, I will live my life in the past, the present, and the future. That's the lesson that Scrooge learns. And let me wax philosophical here just for a minute before we get into the musicals. So we got some, we're going to live in the past, the present, and the future. So there's a certain anonymous program that helps uh, people that uh, can't stop imbibing a certain uh, liquid solution. And there's a large book of this anonymous program and has a section towards the end called The Promises. And uh, one of these promises is they say, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. So there you go, the honoring of the past in a, in a way. Uh, of course, Ramdas told us to be here now. Eckhart Tolle, he wrote, talks about the power of now. These, uh, the, 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 that we're living in the present. Uh, Fleetwood Mac told us to not stop thinking about tomorrow. And Clinton campaigned with that and he, he got everyone real inspired. And then he signed a crime bill that destroyed a whole lot of tomorrows. But th So the trick is to hit all three of those at the same time. And when I was in my teens and my 20s, you know, uh, I spent a lot of time with that second ghost. Christmas present, instant, gratif instant gratification, having a good time, and making out with everybody, getting high in the morning, etc. Then in my 30s, I took a real long journey with the ghost of Christmas past. I was spelunking into what may or may not have really been going on when I was a kid and the truth of that and learning from that and what the implications might be, how to break certain spells. Because there's comfort in that, uh, at that stage of your life, not just in identifying your trauma, for lack of a better word, but narrat uh, narrativizing your life around that trauma. And I'm standing now at the threshold of my 40s, uh, turned 40 a month ago, and, uh, and I gotta look to the future now. It's only just begun. But that's the scariest, right, of the three ghosts. He looks like nearly every depiction of death of the Grim Reaper. But here's, I can't just live in the future or do too much future tripping. I have to also hold on to the present moment and cherish that. But if I do too much of that, I'll be irresponsible. I can't do that. And I also have to honor my past without letting it define me. I got to hit all three at the same time. And that is a flow state or it's close to what a flow state is supposed to be. A concept in psychology introduced in the early 70s by a Hungarian whose name I can't pronounce. So really... There's more to it than just, you know, this is a mean man who learns to like Christmas and becomes nice. It runs a little deeper, if you wanted to. And if you don't, that's fine. Go fuck yourself. Speaking of the early 70s, let's talk about Scrooge. Th this episode's going to be a little bit different than our normal episodes. In our normal episodes, I will tell you... The, ba the basic structure is that I will tell you the history of the making of the thing and talk to you about the people who made it. And then I will go point by point... Uh, reading my notes while watching whatever adaptation that I watched. And then uh, I usually go to the bathroom and then we do the second one. This is going to be different because this is the same story told two different ways. So I'm going to kind of hit both at the same time. We're going to be in a flow state. 
we're going to be in a flow state. So Scrooge. Uh, Scrooge is the Christmas film I grew up with, like I said. As an adult, it's really the only Christmas film I can tolerate. Or it's one of three or so. I enjoy It's a Wonderful Life. That one's pretty good. And I'm sure there are one or two others. It was made in 1970. Uh, Shepperton Studios, just like Oliver. Another musical Dickensian adaptation. This film is anchored, really, by the phenomenal, awe-inspiring performance of Albert Finney in the title role. You cannot fucking believe that this man is 34 years old until like a third of the way through when you see him in the Christmas past scenes because he's seeing himself without the old age makeup on. The the acting is so fucking good. The crazy thing is that when Albert Finney did get old, which we got to see <laughs> uh, in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead and the lesser known uh, Breakfast of Champions, the uh, 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 film adaptation of the Vonnegut, book that most people hate you know it's he's exactly the same and so it's so weird and I, I guess I didn't really get it um as a child I just thought like that's an old man but no I mean that's a 34 year old really playing an old man pretty fucking convincingly uh there are songs in this I would say the songs are good I don't think that they're the best thing about it but they are good they are serviceable and they are written by Leslie Briscus. Now, Leslie Briscus took some hits, right, in our Jekyll and Hyde episode. He wrote lyrics only for that, and they are some of the worst lyrics ever put down on paper. The lyrics here are much better, with a few exceptions. So, I mean, I don't know too much about Leslie Briscus and what would make him uh, decay in his abilities uh, 20 years or 25 years later. But he did. I mean, he just did. Uh, maybe he was going senile. I don't know. I don't want to be unkind to the memory of Leslie Briscus. We lost him. Here's what the New York Times said about this film. Finney's performance is, quote, absurd, sentimental, pretty, never quite as funny as it intends to be, but quite acceptable, if only as a seasonal ritual. Wrong! I don't like it. It's a bad review. You're wrong. As a... What's her name just told us? The good thing, I mean, the, the songs don't intrude on the material, you know? Uh, I think that there's a lot of the original Dickens in the script, and so it feels like there's a seamless incorporation of the songs into the story. It could just be because it was my first Christmas Carol exposure. Pauline Kale, uh, she said this was, quote, an innocuous musical version of A Christmas Carol starring Albert Finney looking glum. The Leslie Briscus music is so forgettable that your mind flushes it away while you're hearing it. Run! Oddly enough, Pauline Kael loved Oliver. We talked about that, which is a piece of shit compared to this, if you ask me. But nobody has. And I wonder, I didn't uh, find this information, but I wondered if the success of Oliver, the fact that it won an Oscar and shit, uh, if that's why they made this. They're like, let's do this again. Same formula. Shepperton Studios. Charles Dickens. Big musical. Lots of dancing. Uh, maybe a little bit sunnier this time. Um, they made a stage version of it in the early 90s, back when Broadway was terrible. It was starring Anthony Newley, uh, Leslie Briscus's old pal from the old days. Now, I know very little about the Broadway musical. All I know is that they changed I Hate People, the song I Hate People, into I Hate Christmas. And that tells me right there that I don't need to investigate any further, and I can unilaterally condemn it as inferior. Come on, man. I Hate People is one of the best songs. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid to have a song called I Hate People? I mean, that's what we're talking about here. 
Anyway, Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, is it a Muppet Christmas Carol or the Muppet Christmas Carol? That would be a good thing to know. We're going to call it, Oh, yes, it is a Muppet Christmas Carol. Sorry for getting that wrong a second ago. Now, raise your hand if you've ever heard the John Denver and the Muppets Christmas album. Fantastic. I uh, listened to it all the time with my family when I was a child. Got very excited for Miss Piggy's five gold rings. Ba-dum-bum-bum. -bum -bum. It was very exciting every time she did the ba-dum-bum-bum. And then there were some weird, uh, there was a song on there that made my mom cry every time she heard it. And so I always wanted to not be in the room because I didn't like it when my mom cried. Uh, it's John Denver, just him by himself. Uh, it's Merry Christmas, little Zachary. Merry Christmas, everyone. Boy, little did I know that he was probably doing lines of coke off of those Muppets. And then, of course, he died uh, in a plane. Allegedly not with any drugs or alcohol in his system, but come on. He had just relapsed. Uh, we really, you know, some somebody did some cleanup on that story. That's right. I said it here. Sue me. Sue me. What can you do me? Somebody sue me, please, so this podcast will get listened to. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, I was less fond of the Lady Gaga Muppet Christmas thing. That was a little less of a cultural touchstone, so I don't know why I'm that mad at it. I just remember it happening circa 2013. It's not very good. One thing that's important to remember about A Muppet Christmas Carol is this is the first Muppet film that was made after the death of Jim Henson in 1990. It's directed by his brother, Brian Henson. And by the way, folks, if you want a good cry, go to YouTube, check out the... Um, Muppet TV special that they made after Jim Henson died. <sighs> the Muppets are all, the whole premise is that the Muppets are like trying to get a tribute show together and they're like in the booth, like like on the Muppet show. Like, oh, the show's gonna start. Oh, shit. And um, Fozzie's like running things and the whole thing is like, they, oh, we're supposed to attribute it. Kermit didn't say who it's for and they can't find Kermit. Where the fuck is Kermit? Uh, and this plot line is like interspersed with all these documentary interviews with real human people like Frank Oz and all them who knew Jim Henson. And then, like, at the very end, like, the last scene, like, Fozzie reads fan mail, and one of them says, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that Jim Henson died. And then all the Muppets, they were all hustle and bustle, they get real silent, and they get real sad. And they're like, oh, my God, he's dead? And then they sing uh, Just One Person. If just one person believes in you. I don't know if that's how it goes. And then Kermit comes in in the middle of that song, voiced by Steve Whitmire for the first time in history. And sweet Jesus, it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, so yeah, if you're someone that likes to cry for no reason, uh, check that out. Check this out. Um, Muppet Christmas Carol also shot at Shepperton Studios in London. We talked a lot about Shepperton Studios in the Oliver episode. I don't have the specs on me right now, but it's like the biggest thing in the history of things. I forget in what way, or it's the biggest structure in England or in London. I don't know. Go back to that episode and get that information, if, or don't, no one cares. Michael Caine, of course, plays Scrooge in this. He says that he took inspiration for the role from, quote, Wall Street cheats and embezzlers. That's not a good impression either. I thought they represented a very good picture of meanness and greed. It's going to make me have coughing fits uh, if I keep doing that. The film didn't do that well. In 1992, it was overshadowed by Home Alone 2 and fucking Aladdin. Two movies that if you would have asked me in 1992, at the age of nine, 
I would have told you they were top-tier films, but today I can admit are total trash. And it's funny because now all of those films are owned by Disney, you know. And of course, uh, Aladdin was in the first place. Uh, Peter Rayner in the LA Times, his, he has a review of this I agree with. He says, quote, Die-hard Muppet fans may get a boost from the film, but Dickens lovers will fare less well. Somewhere along the way, round the Ghost of Christmas Past stuff, the magic has fallen out of the story. The treacly score by Miles Goodman with songs by Paul Williams doesn't help. The Muppets are at their best when they're anarchic, without all the soggy whimsy. Right, 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 right. And the thing is, even the positive reviews of this film did not like the songs. Everyone disliked the songs by Paul Williams. Who's Paul Williams? Well, I'll tell you. He wrote The Rainbow Connection. Why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side? Etc. And most other Muppet songs. He also wrote a lot of the Carpenter songs. Uh, Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. We've only just begun. So this guy's got a few Grammys sitting around his house. He, he knows what he's doing. Certainly not in the realm of musicals. He had written a musical before this. A very shitty one. Also straight to the screen. Called Bugsy Malone. I saw Bugsy Malone as a child. Tried to rewatch it as an adult. Couldn't hang with it. I mean, it's for as a curiosity, it's interesting. Check it out. It's got child actors Scott Bayo and Judy Jodie Foster. And the thing is, it's a Prohibition-era gangster mob movie, but the characters are all played by kids. And instead of bullets, they shoot Play-Doh. And that's fine. So look, basically, I think... The thing about A Muppet Christmas Carol is this is a family movie that was made back when I was a kid, and the term family movie actually meant kids' movie. Nowadays, in the post-Pixar era, with uh, all these grown men with beards swinging lightsabers around and buying lunchboxes for themselves, <laughs> the movies for kids are expected to entertain adults. They did not back then, at all. I know this. Uh, because if I, 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 you could go, go back and see. You can watch this. None of these jokes are funny. Do yourself a favor and never rewatch Problem Child 2. That is the ugliest movie that nobody should have ever let a child see. And it was, when I saw it as a kid, it was my favorite thing ever. I thought that it was like all of the good stuff about Home Alone boiled down in one movie. I was like, yeah, fucking violence and naughtiness. It's like the the, the, the final act of Home Alone with hurting the, hurting the burglars, but like for an entire movie. Um... This will also get millennials mad at me, but, you know, Hocus Pocus, that's another one that people my age insist is brilliant, but God, I cannot find one funny line in that movie with a goddamn metal detector. Why would I use a metal detector? That doesn't make any sense. Let's get into the the actual thing. So, here we go. Uh, Scrooge. In the tradition of old movie musicals, it takes a while to get started because you have to have little cards while the overture plays. Or I guess in this case, there's like a choir and they're singing a, sing a Christmas carol, sing a Christmas carol, sing a Christmas carol, like the children do. Um, it takes a while to get to an actual song, like a spur of the moment song. It starts with the nastiest looking and nastiest sounding carolers you've ever seen. Ark uh, the Harold Angels sing glory to the newborn king. Halfway through that, I realized I was too close to the mic. I think that this episode's going to hurt everybody's ears because it seems like it's being recorded too quietly. 
and then I'm being too loud at times. And I'm going to open a sparkling water. What do you think of that? The Muppet one has an opening number that's uh, very musical theater. It tells you exactly what the show is about. It uh, and it tell the song is all about what a dick Ebenezer Scrooge is. It's something like "There goes Mister's asshole." There goes Mister Jerk. Those aren't the actual words it uses, obviously. There goes Mister Skin Flint. You know what I'm saying? That's what the opening number is. The first distinction between Albert Finney's performance as Scrooge and Michael Caine's performance as Scrooge is that Finney, Albert, <laughs> seems like his Scrooge is not only a source of misery, but the man looks truly miserable. He's just all the way through like these opening scenes. is like, oh, God, oh, fine, you're going to pay me back. <laughs> Michael Caine as Scrooge, he's got a bit of a sadistic streak in him. He looks very excited about evicting people on Christmas. Uh, and he seems to be kind of getting off at ye on yelling at Kermit and those mice. And all the way through this, the, the Muppet version does a neat little trick where... It's not that neat, but they do a little trick where they retain a lot of the famous Dickens lines, but then add cheeky comments after them. You know? Um, what's an example of this? I wrote down, give example in parentheses, but what am I supposed to just have that from memory? I don't. I don't have a fucking example. I don't know. My, my point is, usually it's Michael Caine saying something that Scrooge's, Dickens' Scrooge says, and then, you know, Gonzo or whatever saying, you can say that again, pal. <laughs> Terrible example. The one thing that I remember from the opening number that's the actually the only thing from this whole thing that is uh, burned into my brain from childhood is no cheeses for us, Mises. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's And I think that this is an early sign that I was uh, lyrics obsessed because of how much that bothered me. It doesn't bother me now. It's fine. You know, the, 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 the mice earlier saying about how they, they're hungry, they don't have any cheese. And I forget what it rhymes with. I don't, I don't know. Let's just say something, something, valises. There's no something for these people. And then the mice go, no cheeses for us, Mises. Yeah. Kermit plays Bob Cratchit. Or what's his name? Whitmire as Kermit plays Bob Cratchit. And uh, this Cratchit makes the smart move, you know, in, so in the original, I think, or really in the most versions, in the, okay, in Scrooge, Cratchit, uh, when he's asking for Christmas off, he's like, well, it is only once a year, sir, you know, can I, you know, give me a break? What Kermit as Cratchit does is he reasons with him. He says, sir, uh, sir, every other business will be uh, off on Christmas, so there'll be no one to do business with, and it'll be a waste of coal for the fire. That's a uh, that's pretty uh intru that's pretty persuasive and it works. Uh, there's a song after Kermit and the little rat bookkeeper. Are they rats or are they mice? The bookkeepers, they do a thing. They sing a song. Penguins get involved. After all, there's only one more sleep till Christmas. I don't like it. I don't like that term. <laughs> one more sleep. It's a little nitpicky there. 
Bob Cratchit and his adorable kids in Scrooge, 1970. I'll just keep calling it that because it's confusing because there's the character Scrooge and there's the movie Scrooge. Um, so his kids are adorable. They can't act, but they have angelic voices. And it's an interesting song sequence where they're singing a song called Christmas Children. Christmas children peer into Christmas windows. Because it's like in that song you get to see how a poor family is going to squeeze out a happy Christmas or the happiest Christmas they can. And I like it. It's an interesting take, you know. I mean, we can, we can assume that's what the Cratchits were doing. And I guess we see them do that later during the Christmas present sequence. But it's a nice, like, it's a nice opening number because instead of being, it's not the opening number. It's late in the movie. It's not late in the movie. It's late in the beginning. It's uh, sort of signaling that this is a pro-Christmas story. Whatever. This is a, a, a pointless point I'm trying to make. Scrooge 1970 has an amazing sequence with the song I Hate People. Uh, you know, and I, I, I like that song a lot. It does what I think movie musicals are best for uh, or are best at doing, which is the walking while singing. Because I think a lot of times in life when we're walking somewhere is when we have our moments of uh, epiphany or soliloquy. And so to be able to have a film where you're following somebody with a steady cam and they're singing a song, I just love that. And I always have loved that. Uh, from the early days of the Walkman, I used to like to pretend I was in that, doing that. I used to, with the uh, West Side Story soundtrack. There's some lyrics in this I Hate People song that are a little, they're a bit of a stretch. Uh, my least favorite. Oh, oh, and I have a new sound effect for this. Uh, it's time for, somebody call the lyrics police. <laughs> See what I mean? Because... I tend to uh, police bad lyrics a lot on this show. He sings, People are despicable creatures, loathsome, inexplicable creatures, good-for-nothing, kickable creatures. Eh, I don't know. I don't think anyone would ever say kickable creatures. And then in the same... I'll, I'll give you all three of this. Uh, when, I see, when I see the indolent classes sitting on their indolent asses, gulping ale from indolent glasses. Yeah, I don't know. Wouldn't they say arses? That would fuck up the rhyme. And then the last one, which is probably the best, because it's just really going for it. <laughs> Life is full of cretinous wretches, earning what their sweatness fetches, empties minds whose pettiness stretches further than I can see. So, just to break that down, because it's easy to let some of those pass you by. So, cretinous wretches, fine. I feel like that was the one we started with. Or like, okay, cretinous wretches, what rhymes with that? <laughs> Uh, earning what their sweatiness fetches. Okay, well, what their sweatiness. First of all, you gotta, you gotta cram sweat to, sweatiness into sweatiness. And then uh, empty minds whose pettiness stretches further than I can see. Uh, yeah, no. I like it, but I don't like it. I don't know. Uh, I, I shouldn't have called the lyrics police in on this one. Sorry. Uh, false alarm officers. We're gonna let this one slide. The Marley scene in Scrooge is genuinely frightening with Alec Guinness uh, as Jacob Marley. But even before he shows up, the fucking his, well, he shows up on the door knocker, just like in the original story. And man, um, the way they did, the effects for a movie made in 1970 are pretty impressive. Now, Alec Guinness, for all you nerds, yes, he's Obi-Wan Kenobi, big fucking deal. 
And he's in some other things. Uh, I was told by my father in the days before there was such a thing as uh, Google that Alec Guinness was related to the people that made the stout and the people that made the book of world records, that there was just this goddamn family of brilliant people that uh, were all named Guinness. Well, it's two thirds true. Alec Guinness is not part of this. Yes. The people that made the Guinness drink uh, in the bars to sell their thing, they made, did a thing where they like made a list of records I don't really have all the facts on that straight. Uh, but Alec Guinness has nothing to do with the Guinness. His mother, he, the, the, the name Guinness came from nowhere. And there's actually a weird thing in England where if your father is not around when you're born, you can't put his name on the birth certificate. And so they put down Guinness, but he doesn't actually know who his father is. So that's strange. The British are strange. Can we agree on that? Uh, thanks for listening, British fans. You're very strange. Um, in the Muppet version, you know, it's more for children, obviously. So it's a little more goofy. Uh, the, the Marley is two Marleys. They're Statler and Waldorf. Those two motherfuckers uh, that are up in the the balcony talking shit during the Muppet show. You know who I mean? Those two guys. And they sing a song uh, called Marley and Marley. And uh, that song sucks. Alec Guinness and Scrooge is like scary, really good acting. They fly through the air. They see a bunch of fucked up looking ghosts, uh, which is from the novel. And then Scrooge is back in bed. He's like, it was a dream. It was all a dream. And then like Marley just sort of appears in the frame and says, it was not a dream. Scares the shit out of him. And so the whole thing is like a fever dream. Actually, all through the movie, between ghosts too, where he keeps being back in bed, like drenched in sweat, it does kind of seem like, how that feels and believe me i know because I've, I've been experiencing some fever dreams in the last 48 hours uh, and hopefully tonight will be different also the, like the thing is uh, albert finney's scrooge is like this oddball character you know he's uh kind of goofy whereas michael Caine's scrooge is the straight man with silly things going on around him like he could be delivering the exact same performance without there being muppets and, you know, that's a pretty obvious observation. But when you look this up, what Michael Caine said uh, when in some interview, I won't do the impression this time. He said, I'm going to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I will never wink. I will never do anything Muppety. I'm going to play Scrooge as if it is an utterly dramatic role and there are no puppets around me. And I don't, I feel like that's weird. <laughs> I don't know if that was a great idea. To be honest with you. Because it's strange that he's not on the same level as everybody else. Isn't it? I mean, most of the other humans aren't really playing on the Muppet level either. Like in, um, you know, Sesame Street, which combines humans with Muppets. The, the, the humans are usually saying, hey, how's it going, Big Bird? Or, you know, and sort of uh, it's not really about them. <laughs> It's, it's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I, I, I feel like it's weird. What the fuck was that? Whew, okay. Sorry. I took a break a few minutes ago and as per usual, I'm having trouble getting back into the, the, the flow state, the, the swing of things here, but I'll try. Heads up. They almost cast George Carlin as Scrooge in a Muppet Christmas Carol. That's right. Let that sink in. 
that would have been different, right? He wouldn't have been all serious. Uh, one of my favorite lines in this was uh, during the ghost stuff. Because uh, So the whole thing is narrated by Gonzo as Charles Dickens talking to Rizzo the Rat, one of the more annoying Muppets, Rizzo the Rat. That's a lot like Rizzo from Midnight Cowboy, I guess. But uh, Gonzo, so Rizzo says, should we worry, because they're doing scary ghost stuff, that should we be worried about the kids in the audience? And then Gonzo said, oh, it's all right. This is culture. <laughs> and yeah, I th that's, that's uh, I, agree, I agree, but I think that's kind of dead. I'm a big fan of scaring children, but uh, you're not allowed to scare children anymore. Like if children are in a um, tent, you can't uh, sneak up and shake the tent and make a monster sound. The, the people consider that to be child abuse. That's got nothing to do with culture, so I don't even know why. Uh, well, okay. I, I think we should all have a right to scare children with or without culture. You heard it here from me. And that was like the one time in this movie that I sort of chuckled, I guess, because it's the movie's not funny at all. And uh, the, the, again, the, the, there's an early 90s kids movie vibe to this that's kind of thoughtless and cruel, like Problem Child 2. Uh, and just whatever base thing makes a kid laugh, but it's also trying to be wholesome. Um, the Ghost of Christmas Past says that uh, it took me a minute because um, the Ghost of Christmas Past in the Muppet one says that she can remember nearly 1900 years and that reminded me that Christmas is about Jesus. Because <laughs> there's not a lot of talk about Jesus in A Christmas Carol. And so I was like, huh, why 1900? That's weird. Why did uh, the, that ghost start right when uh, BC started? Or I mean AD, rather, started. And then it's like, oh, because that was when Christmas started, you idiot. Now in the Scrooge 1970 version, the ghost of Christmas passed is played by Dame Edith Evans. Boy, oh boy. Six years before her death. Amazing. You remember her, my erudite friends, from The Importance of Being Earnest. To lose one parent, Mr. Worthing, may be regarded as a misfortune. To lose both looks like carelessness. And it's funny, uh, you know, in the Muppet one, the, I, because I did go back and read, or skim, let's just say I skimmed the original Dickens novella. And that ghost is described as being sort of childlike, but also old. And they make a creepy Muppet for it in the Muppet one. But in Scrooge 1970, like, she's just kind of an old woman in a fancy outfit. You know, not a creepy child ghost that floats. Um, they go back into they go into the past, uh, the, and in uh, the Muppet, uh, you know, Fezziwig is Fozziwig. That's a no brainer. You know, that writes itself. In Scrooge, there's a very fun song called December the Twenty Fifth. Everybody at that party, at Fezziwig's party, just looks like they're having delirious fun. I want to be at that fucking party. I want to be at Fezziwig's Christmas party. And that is the point of that scene and mission accomplished. Uh, like I said, it's the first time we see Albert Finney at his actual age and it is jarring because you're like, holy shit, that's the same guy. And it is not de-aging technology like in The Irishman. It is, uh, that's how the man actually looks. Uh, 
in all the days and all the years that I'm familiar with. The greatest day of every day, December the 25th. Correct! December the 25th, my dear, December the 25th. The greatest day in all the year, December the 25th. Correct! Every time they say December the 25th, as a response, the person goes, Correct! I like it. There's a song that there are a few too many reprises of in the Finney Scrooge 1970. I, th I don't know the title. I think it's called You. Anyway, it happens a few too many times. And in general, Albert Finney singing in this is, uh, you know, he's in character. He's doing the old man voice. He's not like off key or anything, but you don't want him singing too much. And it's just, um, it's very pretty. That's not, or it's, dep it's sad, <laughs> depressing. You, you were new to me. You, you were. Hmm. I mean, that whole sequence with Isabel is heartbreaking as fuck. Um, I love how in Scrooge 1970, there's a sequence of them falling in love and going out on the lake. And I love how they involve the Fezziwigs. They invite Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig along and they're just acting like total children and rolling around and, you know, having too much lunch and falling asleep under the tree. They kind of rush through all of this in the Muppet one, which is fine because it's for kids. Um, but here's the big thing about um, <laughs> about the, the, the past love Isabel thing in the Muppets. There's a cut song. Now, this is well known by uh, millennial culture vultures. The song that's cut is called When Love is Gone. Now, here's the reason that they... Uh, they gave for cutting it, which I don't really believe. And I'll show you why. So this is what Jeffrey Katzenberg, the idiot, said. He said that they did test screenings and kids were, quote, getting antsy in their seats. And so Jeffrey Katzenberg convinced uh, Brian Henson they should cut that song. Now, Jeffrey Katzenberg, if you're not up on who's an executive at Disney or who does what uh, behind the scenes in the evil uh, media. <laughs> he's uh, he's an asshole. He's a, he's a moron. He tried to cut a part of your world out of A Little Mermaid for, I think, probably the same type of reason. And, of course, he's the genius behind Quibi. Remember Quibi from a couple years ago? That was an app was with streaming things. It was supposed to be a big deal. So don't listen to Jeffrey Katzenberg. His opinion is wrong. Please watch this song on YouTube. It was lost media for a while. They had to like go and find it somewhere. <laughs> and here's the thing. So the thing about this is, and, and, and I, I saw a TikTok video about this, uh, uh, maybe at the wrong time in my life, which is recently. Um, it's not the best song in the world, but you need to watch it for Michael Caine's performance. He's not singing a single note of this song. It's all being sung by Isabel. She's singing it to young Scrooge, a completely different actor in this Muppet version. And it's a sad song, When Love is Gone. But Michael Caine is behind her watching and he's crying his goddamn eyes out. And it is upsetting. It is fucked up. It's, um, it's a little too real. I think that's why they cut it. That's what I think. 
Apparently they released a 20th anniversary collector's edition Blu-ray last year, and there was an option in the menu to watch the movie with that song or without it. Which speaks again to, you know, a lot of kids' movies are just being watched by arrested development adults. Uh, what else? The Ghost of Christmas present is very aesthetically similar in both versions. Also similar to how he is described in Dickens. But each of these versions of the Ghost of Christmas present have a song. The one in Scrooge 1970 is highly preferable. In the Muppet one, they sing some piece of shit called It Feels Like Christmas. So this is, this is plays into this heavily. I don't like Christmas songs. I do like Christmas. I don't like Christmas songs. Especially the ones that are just lists of the things that make up Christmas. Like, oh, the, the red of the holly. The smell of the mistletoe. That shit bothers me. I find it uh, bad. <laughs> in fact, you know what I'll do? Uh, in the show notes, in the description below, I will put a link to my playlist that I had have been working on since 2020 called Christmas Songs That Are Not Insufferable. Because there are a few that I enjoy, and most of them are either the really dark religious ones, uh, like Carol of the Bells or Oh Holy Night, or they are the ones you don't hear very often. The ones that aren't played out. But even some of the ones you do hear a lot, I do like. I, I like the Phil Spector ones. Anyway, um, in Scrooge 1970, there's the song I Like Life, which is not even a Christmas song. And it's so good. And just, I like that version of the ghost so much better. Because he, like, he kind of bullies Scrooge and calls him a weird little man. And he gives him the milk of human kindness to drink. And then Albert Finney, after he drinks this milk of human kindness, is so funny. He just keeps wanting another sip of it. It's the best thing I've ever tasted. What's in it? <laughs> uh, I'm really amusing myself over here alone in my office, in my house. So the ghost takes him to Fred's house. Uh, and they're the happiest bastards ever over at Fred's house. They're playing uh, party games. You know, in the in the Muppets, I guess the big question is like, why are all the humans Brits and all the Muppets are Yanks? It's kind of strange how they didn't hire one American actor or make one British Muppet. Uh, all they do at Fred's house in the Muppet version when they talk about Scrooge is they troll the motherfucker. In... Uh, the original, I think, but certainly in Scrooge 1970, you know, Fred does say he likes his uncle, Ebenezer. And they play the minister's cat in uh, the 1970 Scrooge version. Uh, I, I, I hope we find time to play the minister's cat at my sister's house in San Jose this holiday season. Hillary, if you're listening to this, remind me that we should play the minister's cat with your kids. They're old enough, right? To think of adjectives that start with the same letter? That'd be fun. Let's do it. We could even put on uh, Victorian outfits. The Cratchit House, uh, that scene is very depressing. It's funny that, you know, the poorest bastards in town in London still have a house. It's not like that in America today. Uh, in both versions, they peek through the window of the house. I didn't check if that was in the original book. 
I mean, but by, by, I mean, Scrooge and the ghost, like everywhere else that, that he goes with these ghosts, he gets to just be invisible and be in the room. But for some reason, the Cratchit house, you got to wipe of the window and look through it. I felt like watching this that they did Miss Piggy dirty by making her just play Mrs. Cratchit. That's kind of a small part for Miss Piggy. And she should have had a bigger part. I found out uh, after I watched it was when I did my research. Apparently she was... They were originally going to have uh, established Muppets playing the ghosts. Uh, Miss Piggy was supposed to be the ghost of Christmas present. Robin the Frog or Scooter, one of them, was going to be the ghost of Christmas past. And then either Gonzo or Animal were the ghost of Christmas future. They seem to have a hard time placing Animal. They put him in a band in the uh, past flashback scene. But they're really that, that music did not need a, a crazy rock drummer. They scrapped that idea of putting those Muppets as the ghosts and they just, they invented new Muppets to play the ghosts. Um, I got very curious about eating goose because in both versions they're eating goose because I don't see goose very often in the grocery store, in the meat section. So I looked it up. I was like, is it worth having goose? Apparently, according to my research, it's like a rich, rare roast beef. It's got a high fat content. But most of the fat is under the skin rather than in the meat. So when you cook it, it melts and it bastes the breast, keeping it juicy. That sounds pretty good. And apologies to my vegan listeners. But that sounds great. And similar to duck. And uh, I don't want to sound like a little rich boy from Pacific Palisades. But I loved duck when I was a little boy. I mean, maybe two or three times as a child, uh, my mother or maybe my father, I don't remember, made duck a la range. I tried to cook it myself a couple years ago, and it was garbage. You, 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 it's very hard to cook a duck and to do it justice. If you do it wrong, then that shit is tough. <sighs> so Kermit and Miss Piggy's children <laughs> are all either, like all the boys are frogs and all the girls are pigs, as opposed to all of them being nightmarish pig frogs who uh, live a life of agony and sort of snort ribbit in pain. Kermit as Cratchit and Tiny Tim. I, 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 is that Robin? I don't know what you call that. The, the little Kermit. They sing a little song uh, called Christmas Scat. And it's because they're scatting. But uh, I don't know. I think the, 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 the other meaning of the word scat uh, makes it hard to ever use it. To talk about scatting. Like, <laughs> I'm not very good at scatting. You know, scatting, like what jazz singers do. Like what goddamn uh, Freddie Mercury did in uh, Under Pressure. Beta. Mama boobie. Tiny Tim's song sucks in the Muppet one because it's all 90s with the electric piano. And it's he's a disturbing fucking puppet because he seems like a young sickly frog. And he's all hunched over. And yeah, it's just another general song about Christmas. There's too many of those in the Muppet version. Tiny Tim's song in Scrooge is uh, haunting. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're good. Everything's fine. Uh, it's haunting uh, because it's perversely about his own impending death. Or maybe it just seems that way because then he, he, he dies and then sings a reprise of it uh, with uh, echoing in the background while his father is at his grave. Spoiler alert. You all knew it was coming. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's it's sort of, uh, on that beautiful winter's morning, 
If my wish could come true somehow, then that beautiful day. He's, you know, it's just sort of about that that day when things are, uh, you know, uh, paradise. Uh, uh, the pearly gates. Uh, yeah, it's weird. And, it, and it's that thing from the 70s and the 60s where children, just uh, boys had to sing real high falsetto instead of going, it's a hard knock life. <laughs> that was for the the girls to do. That was their job. Belting, I mean. Uh, I think that my favorite part of Scrooge 1970 is that the whole present sequence, just because that ghost and how huge he is, and that whole feast around him, and the way that he keeps uh, trolling Scrooge. I just, I really like it. And uh, it, of course, transitions then into the third ghost, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, which is the same in all versions. He looks like the Grim Reaper and he just he doesn't say anything. He just points. And, you know, in this third act, the music, the uh, Scrooge finds a way to lighten Scrooge 1970 finds a way to lighten the mood with an ironic song and dance number. Which a lot of people, this was uh, up for best song at the Oscars. This thing did not win any Oscars. Albert Finney did win a Golden Globe, but it didn't win any Oscars. But it was nominated, certainly. It should have been nominated for best makeup, I'll tell you that. Uh, but uh, for, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. And the conceit of that, which I believe is original... And unique to this film. It's not from any other version. Uh, all of the people that we've met that were in debt to him are celebrating Scrooge's death. And he's there watching this, but he's too fucking dumb and flattered that they're saying nice things about him. Uh, even though they're doing so ironically. That he can't just turn around and see that his own goddamn coffin is right behind where he's standing. In the book and in the Muppet version, he just hears people talking. Saying like, oh, did you hear he died? Oh, yeah, what's going to happen to his money? Oh, man. And then he asked the ghost, of what poor wretch do they speak? But, yeah, this part is, uh, it's, I think that this is just my personal taste. That's what this whole podcast is, of course. But I think when somebody is singing a happy, upbeat song, but there's sort of uh, something kind of wrong with it. That's my favorite type of musical theater moment. And this is one of those. Uh, it's a very happy song, but they're singing thank you very much to Scrooge for dying. Because they owed him money. That's a little bit dark. I like it. I like it very much. Uh, you know, the Muppet version is so much shorter than the Scrooge 1970. And it's good because it shouldn't be longer than 90 minutes, really. But the pacing of the Tiny Tim death is off because it happens like five minutes after his song in the scene with the Ghost of Christmas Present. And it's not nearly as brutal as it is in Scrooge 1970, you know, where we see Cratchit at the fucking grave and we hear the voice of Tiny, the dead Tiny Tim singing echoey reprise. Uh, very sad. Very sad. And then there's the big moment that everybody knows <laughs> from, like, if you were to, let's say, make a diorama of a Christmas carol. If you know one thing about a Christmas carol, it's Scrooge 
looking at his grave with his own name on it. And the ghost is pointing towards it. That's the big uh, climax, right? Um, so in Muppet Christmas Carol, that all happens on schedule. Everything's fine. Boy, oh boy. This was the biggest disappointment to me as a kid. The fact that there was no scene in hell. In Scrooge 1970, they take the time to put Scrooge in hell. And it is fucking cool and weird and scary. Because it's all hot and he touches things and it's hot. And then Marley's there. So we give Alec Guinness another scene. And he's like, oh, let me show you to your quarters. I heard you were arriving today. Uh, no one else wanted to. And then he takes him through hell. He says, you're going to be Lucifer's personal clerk. Of course, they say Clark for some reason in England. I know they invented the language, but can they just can they can they use it properly? That's annoying. Don't say Clark. It's not spelled that way. Uh, he's got to be Lucifer's Clark. You will be to Lucifer what Bob Cratchit was to you, and he's like, "That's not fair. That sucks." And then he gets to his office, and it's freezing cold, and uh, all of these really fucked up looking uh, d uh, devils, demons. Uh, come in with his chain, which is enormous. And these devils all look like executioners, like their heads are covered and they're sweating balls, sweating and muscly. And then he, there are rats on the floor that he's afraid of and he's screaming, help, help, help. <laughs> and then that's when he wakes up. Tangled in his bedsheets, not in chains, in his bedsheets. I will begin again. I will start anew. His little song there. Instead of that line that we talked about earlier, uh, with the I will live in the past, the future, and the present. They say a version of this. The future I build will be something that will last. Uh, in most every version, we got Scrooge talking to that little boy outside. What day is it today? Today, sir? Boy, it's Christmas Day! They Even the Simpsons did this, I think. And the end of Scrooge 1970... Is long. It goes on for a long time, but boy, every minute of it is brilliant and just so invigorating. Like Scrooge goes around and ties up every loose end and takes the longest victory lap because the thing is, and this is not, uh, this is unique to this movie. During the I Hate People sequence, he's walking through London and visiting all of the people that owe him money. He talks to that uh, the motherfucker that makes the soup who ends up singing the lead on Thank You Very Much. He talks to a, a, a puppeteer who's doing like a Punch and Judy style thing. And he talks to these two old ladies. Like, oh, we scarcely make that much in a week, sir. And he's telling all of them, like, you better pay me. You, there, there's going to be interest. And um, so basically all of the shitty things that he did. All, and of course, the, 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 the two guys asking for money. Uh, I don't know what their names are. The ones that are trying to raise money for the poor and say uh, they should go to the workhouses. Uh, many would rather die than go there. Well, if they'd rather die, then they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Uh, very uh, Newt Gingrich. Very Ron Paul. Very Rand Paul. Uh, so there you go. Um, I uh, got very emotional watching Scrooge 1970. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I got emotional a few times in this. 
I mean, I guess I didn't really talk about the fact that so in the 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 in the Christmas past scene, I think that that is burned into my brain. The whole idea of him going back and losing. I mean, so in, in nineteen the nineteen seventy version, I think in the song he sings, he's like, "You, my only hope, you, my only love." I think that as an adult, I have stayed in relationships way longer than I should have uh, because of this. I was, was a cautionary tale. I was like scared straight by Scrooge. Bill Murray gets to gets the lady back in the end. Uh, that does not happen in Scrooge. In fact, there's not really a lot of curiosity about what happened to Isabel in most versions of A Christmas Carol. Because I guess there's no Facebook to look her up on. Uh, and uh, where the, yeah, who God knows where she is. How do you look her up? It's, it's been years and it's the 19th fucking century. But so that made me emotional uh, watching it this time around. The other time is here at the end when he makes things right with the Cratchits. Uh, you know, that's all lovely. We're going to get a doctor for your son and all that. That's all fine. But then for some reason when he talks to his nephew and his niece or his nephew's, sorry, his nephew's wife. Do you call that your niece? No. That doesn't make sense. His nephew's wife. <laughs> And she, he's saying, could you forgive an old fool that's been an old fool or whatever? <laughs> but then she says, may we expect you at our house for Christmas? And then he gets choked up and he goes, you may. Tears. This is all lost in the Muppet version, of course. Uh, Michael Caine is a little too composed. He's He sings for the first time in the movie, but it's another forgettable song that's just about Christmas in general and, you know, giving in general. Finney, Albert Finney is a maniac at the end of this movie. He goes in and he he's he's buying all the fucking toys, like uh, Michael Jackson in the store, uh, buying uh, rugs and antiques. Uh, I'll have that and all of that and these and all of that, please. <laughs> Like he's all those dolls and then all this train and then all this. And he's piling up, you know. And he, he's, he goes and he dresses up at Santa. He's dancing. He's singing. He's he's losing his shit. And, you know, the last moment of Scrooge is so beautiful. And the perfect way to end a movie about Christmas. Because it's that moment of pause between Christmas morning and Christmas dinner. And he's by himself after this long sequence of he's did they do the reprise of thank you very much where and magically everybody throws their hat in the air and catches it like this huge crowd of people like they throw their hat way up high in the air and then everybody catches the hat perfectly. God knows how that happened. But so it's like it's a party. It's a party. It's a party. And then he's by himself and he's home and he talks to Jacob Marley or, you know, because the the door, whatever, the knocker. And he's like, I have to go now. I'm going to have Christmas dinner with my family. It's it's really sweet. And then uh, he puts the Christmas hat on the door knocker. And then it says the end and Merry Christmas. I'm willing to admit that, you know, the things that you see when you're a child, uh, you know, dictate how early you see them dictates how good you think they are. But... I don't know. I, I'm hard-pressed to find a version that is better than this. In the Muppet version, uh, we actually go to that dinner with the niece and the nephew, or the nephew and the fucking nephew's wife. But I somehow don't buy it. 
that, that song that they sing could because it's preachy and it seems like it's a movie telling me what the point of Christmas is. It's telling instead of showing, whereas Scrooge 1970 shows it to you. They sing a lyric in the Muppet one, uh, and I don't know the tune to it because it was not interesting enough to remember. The love we found, the love we found, we carry with us so we're never quite alone. And that's nice and everything, but it's like, did you have to sit? Like, did you have to all sit around a dinner table and sing that together? You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't believe you. But boy, oh boy, do I believe Albert Finney. And I believe he's going to have a good time. And he's going to play the minister's cat. And he's essentially going to cheat because he already watched them play and he already memorized all of the adjectives they were going to use. So probably when he went home between uh, the Christmas morning and that dinner, he made a list of all of the ones he didn't hear with each letter of the alphabet. Or maybe he didn't because now he's a good person that doesn't lie and cheat. So, uh, great. We've come to the end of our episode. It's uh, shorter than most. It's coming in at an hour 13 or so right now. Uh, what did we learn today, folks? We learned that uh, maybe A Muppet Christmas Carol is overrated. And maybe Scrooge from 1970 is underrated. Um, I will be releasing this on December the 23rd. December the 23rd, correct! So that means if you subscribe to the irrational belief that you can only watch Christmas movies during the month of Christmas and you haven't rotated through Scrooge 1970, please make a point of doing so. If you have children, prepare to send them out of the room when Jacob Marley shows up or if you're old school, let them be scared. Let them be scared. Let me end this episode and come up with a nice closing line. But before I do that, I want to say happy holidays to you and yours. There's a lot of sadness in the world right now, folks. <laughs> and uh, I want to thank you for uh, a wonderful year of patronage to this podcast I may do one more to close out 2023 I have an idea for maybe a final episode of the year I also have an idea of how to do episodes next year but I don't want to say it out loud because every time I've ever done that I've not gone with it and then looked like an idiot because I didn't do the thing that I said I was going to do so I'm keeping this one to myself but uh, you know I really honestly do appreciate uh, those of you who listen to this. Uh, and I, I, I kid and say that I have zero listeners, but I know that I have listeners because you guys contact me and it really does uh, make me feel really happy and good when you guys contact me. Because when you don't, I feel like a psychopath uh, with a cable access show uh, f for nobody but himself. So let me come up with that closing line. I'll be right back. I didn't put a lot of effort into this. All right, here. Uh, on this beautiful winter's evening, on this podcast I have droned on, 
than this. Now this episode of I Need You to Like Musicals is now done and gone. Correct! Merry Christmas, folks.